Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Later in this episode, we're going to talk about the ideal technical co-founder or first employee for a software company and how to find them. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. Cool. So what's up this week, Rick? Well, I'm dealing with a technical problem with our member management software provider that we use for group current. And as you may remember, group current provides outsourced group management for uh, member-based groups. We have a customer called Panda Labs. We launched a couple months ago, got a hundred members, trying to double that by the end of the year. They pay $150 application fee and then 20 bucks a month roughly to get some benefits um, of membership. So we are the outsourced provider of services and we license some software from this company called Tidy HQ. And the members are very busy entrepreneurs. Pato Labs is basically Park City's entrepreneurial community. And we're and people a lot of the members have you know their biggest cost is time. Mm-hmm. Their biggest asset is time. And so uh, we do billing through this platform and we told everyone when they signed up, um, which is kind of cumbersome because they have to fill out a membership application and then sign up again for a membership, that the way that they were doing it would be auto-renewed. And of course, uh, all of our founding members expired July 31st or August 1st. And now um, we had to go back to them and say, oops. <laughs> Your membership expired. So we we are we were sending emails about registering for events. Guess what? Registering events requires membership. So I literally had to uh, go through every single member, send them a personal email saying, I'm sorry. This is after going back and forth with Teddy HQ um, on support, which is based in Australia. So there's like a 12-hour lag every time you want to talk to them. And because they're you know, I like the founder a lot, so I, I want to be careful what I say. Sur- customer service clearly isn't a priority for them mm-hmm. in terms of responsiveness and, uh, you know, getting like over delivering on mm-hmm. customer service. Um, and that was really frustrating when added to the time delay, it's taking multiple times to get to the root issue. So was this a bug on their end or did you just like not configure the membership the way you were supposed to? I'm not going to blame it on either party. I'm going to say that the software uh, did not do what we expected it to do based on reading help articles and confirming the way we're doing it mm-hmm. with support team. Uh, and it's clear why it didn't work the way we wanted it to in retrospect. Do I agree with it not working the way we want it to? Yeah. No. Do I, do I, do, are they going to fix it? No. So, and has the founder taken time to, you know, explain why it is this way? Satisfactory. Yes. He's done it. He's done it in a satisfactory way. And so now that you know how it works though, you can, I mean, maybe it it was a frustrating experience at first, but you know how to do it in the future. So this doesn't happen again, right? I know how to do it in the future. So it doesn't happen again, I think, but I've lost trust. Yeah. Right. So I'm hoping that the way that we've set it up going forward uh, will work. And this has been a, there's been a couple of other bugs that we've come across in the software. So, um, it's making me want to build 
our own member member management software. It's making me want to go tidy. You know, Isaac's the founder. I'm like, Isaac, I, this isn't good enough for us. <laughs> so we're going to build it ourselves, which I'm sure that's not what he want to hear, wants to hear. Yeah. I mean, that that's how most companies get started, right? You feel a pain and the, the current solutions aren't there, aren't, out there aren't solving it for you. So, um, one of the reasons I'm excited about the topic today <laughs> is that I am not technical. My mm-hmm. co-founder at Group Current is even more less technical than me, and we're, we need to figure out if we decide to go that route, what our options are for bringing on either a third co-founder, uh, a technical employee, or contracting us. Right, right. Cool. Well, that's exciting. I mean, it sucks that you went through that experience, but I always, uh, anytime someone feels the pain that obviously could be the spark of a new, a new venture, I'm, I'm always excited by that. <laughs> so, so yeah, you're excited. This is, it's, it's exciting to find a problem because I'm sure we're not the only ones. There's a market for this, I think. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, yeah, for me, uh, a less annoying CRM, uh, is, uh, celebrating our, our 10 year anniversary tomorrow. So we were the big, uh, 10 now or so one. Whatever. So, so 10 years ago tomorrow, you betrayed me at people keep and left to start uh, less annoying CRM. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. We, we, you know, any, you always have to look backwards and say, what, what are the dates we're going to call the anniversary? So this was the date my, my brother, who's my co-founder and I, we're, we we have G chats of this. It's fun looking back through our old Google chat logs from back when that was a thing. And and this was the day that we were both like, we didn't have an idea yet. We didn't know what it was going to be. But we were like, yeah, we'll start a company. Okay. So that's what we're calling the the start. <laughs> um, so we got that going on. In terms of actual like uh, work I've been doing. So I've been talking for a while about we've got this big redesign coming up and um, I built a tool basically that lets uh, our customers opt in themselves to the to basically be a beta tester. Um, and something that's a little interesting about it is individual users can opt in even if their whole account hasn't. So it was a little complicated getting that working. But I'm excited about it because our, our goal with this is going to be to basically get as many people on it before the official launch as possible so that whatever disruption, whether it's positive or negative, will be kind of spread out over time and not just like hit us all at once, basically. Phased out, rolling out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why so many companies get excited about like the big launch date and all this. Like that sounds really scary to me. I just want, you know, over the next six months, gradually people will move over basically. Well, Sable has this concept called lightning strike they use over at her company. Mm -hmm. Sable's my wife. You know that. (laughs) Uh, But she she uses a term called lightning strike. And the reason that companies like to build to a launch is they can seed it uh, and then create a tail of messaging to hit the, you know, hit the same message seven times around an event that is word of mouth worthy, worthy that mm-hmm. makes the message travel faster. I it's wonder more, if it's a marketing, it's a marketing event. Absolutely. So that makes sense to me. I wonder if the tail could happen on the other end of it though. Like if you, if you can get those multiple touch points in advance, like everyone's very secretive. This is other. This is a little bit of a rant, but when I lived in San Francisco, everyone I knew they they would never be able to talk about what they're working on. They're working on these really fascinating things, but everyone's so secretive about everything. I just hated it. I, I like to be totally open about what we're working on and stuff like that. I agree. Yeah, I, I'm I'm more on on your thing. I do I do think that having some strategic messaging. 
uh, in announcements to maximize the 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 impact of the of the message that you're trying to send is good but i i don't i would not not be transparent ahead of that yeah, yeah. I, would, I would definitely I, I would definitely do what you're doing to make sure that i can deliver on what i'm launching before i yeah I launch it this might be i might pick this as our next deep dive is like what should my strategy be for for launching this that would be, be good to talk about that'd be okay. fun to talk about cool cool well speaking of deep dives let's let's go into this one so uh you want to you want to intro it yeah, so I I mentioned this earlier. Th- this is so the deep dive today is what's the ideal technical co-founder or first employee? And for for co- purposes of this conversation, let's assume it's a software application uh, in the the business to business realm. And uh, obviously, that's going to be a, a determining factor. But for for purposes of this conversation, let's condense it to. How do you find what's the right technical co-founder for a B2B software company? Uh, And I, this is on my mind because one, I just ran into a problem with group current, but it's also on my mind because as I think about leg up ventures, which is my parent company that owns and operates, I, I, I'm starting to think about other types of software applications that I might want to build. Um, for example, I'm still very interested in the employee benefit space outside of health insurance. Um, I so another example would be I have an idea about uh, education benefits, where a company could give money to them to employees tax free mm-hmm. and let them go into a marketplace similar to the you know health insurance marketplace and peruse courses from all types of vendors from Coursera to, uh, to Saster to, um, you know, even in-person events, uh, or books on Amazon, buy them and then get reimbursed tax-free by their company. And I've, I've thrown this around with a lot of people, especially millennials who, who are interested in, in, in going to take advantage of these new tools. And, um, there seems to be a solid demand for it. And, I cannot find anyone who's who's delivering on this yet. Mm-hmm. So, I, the only roadblock for me, I, I know exactly how this is going to work. I know all the technical specs. The big roadblock for me is how do I go about building the application uh, in a way that I can go prove. Let's say I can go get a you know fifty to one hundred k in revenue on this um, before I raise money, and. Uh, and get the the you know get get a product that's good enough to get get me there. Yeah, and it, so it seems like there's at least two parts of this. One is what would the ideal technical co-founder like? What skills would they have, and all that? And the other one is how do you find that person? Yeah, and I would say there's a third element. So one is yes, uh, skill set. Two is how do you find them, and then third is what do you call them, and how do you pay them? Yeah, uh, is it a found is it a co-founder? Is it a contractor? Is it a shop? <laughs> is it an employee? Uh, and, and what's their title? Is it engineer? Is it co-founder? Is it CTO? Right. Okay. So where do you want to start here? Skills. Skills. I mean, so you're talking about a web-based application, right? And this is something that absolutely doesn't, it doesn't require uh, like 
genius level technical knowledge to build. This is a pretty standard. Do you know like the term CRUD? This is a CRUD app. Uh, CRUD sounds bad. Is CRUD bad? No, CRUD, it's uh, create, read, update, delete. It's basically the four main database functions. Uh. And a lot of software out there is nothing more than put stuff into a database, take stuff out of a database, and then put like a UI on top of it. Um, yes, and the, I would you, say that that the UI for this is critical because mm-hmm. it's a it's going to be a low ACV or annual contract value product, and a lot self service is really key. Yeah, but so that's almost so maybe uh, it's more important unless you think you would uh, you know want to be be the one to do this. The the UI design might be more important than the actual technical implement, implementation here because most CRUD apps, and I, I consider a CRM to be one as well. Uh, you know, you don't need a, a like Google level genius computer science PhD to build it. Maybe you need someone who has more empathy for customers and stuff like that. Do you yes. see yourself as the one? Desi- do you think the person you're talking about is going to design it, or do you think someone else is going to? So my so let me maybe I could talk about what my skill sets are. It sounds like this is going to be variable about based on what compliments I need. Yeah, I am a terrible designer. From a look and feel standpoint, um, I can wireframe a usable product and, and in, well, I can wireframe a vision for something, but in terms of making it a exciting experience for a user from colors to a style to even specific placement of elements, mm-hmm. that's not me. Okay. That's where like, but in terms of writing requirements, um, you know, you know, describing the, the high level technical requirements, Mm -hmm. uh, describing the user, you know, the user persona, the strategy around marketing this, that that's all I'm really strong at. I don't, I would love someone that is as passionate about the user experience, I think, as me, but I I can't do the design. Yeah. I can't I can't code the design. So I, you I, either need a designer and a programmer or a, a jack of all trades who, who's going to be able to do, do both of those. Well, like I'm a lot of companies f- would have two different people for these two different roles. Well, assume I, let's assume for this conversation that I'm looking for one person. Mm-hmm. For, to fill this void, and I'm open to calling them a co-founder. Mm-hmm. I'm also open to calling them whatever is appropriate to call them: employee, contractor, outsource shop. Um, and so, I guess, yeah. So maybe, maybe we go back, stick on the skills, and say, what what skills? If this was going to be one person, what are all the skills that they would need to be able to design, code, and uh, I guess launch. Yeah. So where you leave off, it sounds like is basically a requirement stock. Like maybe you could do the wireframe, but it sounds like even that, like where does stuff go on the page is not something you want to, you, you think probably someone else would be better off doing that. So you give a requirement stock and they, they take everything from there. I'm very opinionated when it mm-hmm. comes to the final product. And I can tell you that's not right. I can tell, I can point out a problem, but coming up with a solution specifically that's going to be implemented, I, not me. Yeah. Okay. So you need someone who has the, everything from wireframing, mocking up, and then also full stack development, 
so a, pretty much a generalist here, unless you wanted to outsource parts of that. So you could bring on someone who's just got the product side of that um, and then outsource development or vice versa. Um, if, if that's the skill set, you're talking about someone who has built an entire thing themselves before. And really what I mean is you're, t- you're talking about someone who does not have a background working at big companies, I think. Right, no one who works at a big company is doing all of those things. Why is that? Because big companies specialize. Like they have a design team and they have a front end team and a back end team. Um, maybe maybe the person does it on the side as a hobby. But my limited experience working at big companies, you don't get exposed to all those different pieces. Uh, versus at a really small business or a startup or something like that, maybe one person is touching all these different pieces. Okay, got it. Do you buy that? I buy it. I think we're getting into how to find the person. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. so the, the skills, okay. The, the, the highest level skills, I think we're talking UI design, graphic design, front end engineering, back end engineering, and maybe a little infrastructure stuff. Can you go through each of those mm-hmm. and explain which, what, like, I, what's your, you said UI design versus. I said graphic. Some people might say visual design. Yeah. Can you go through each of those and just give me a quick, like, bullet on what, translate yeah. it to, uh, <laughs> To non <laughs> non technical speak, sure. So, and and I should say, like the the design nerds of the world uh, quibble quite a bit about this terminology. So, like, not everyone might not necessarily agree with the the way I'm defining these terms. But let's well, create these. Bu- what are the big buckets yeah. of skills, and what do, what what do the, what do they mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's so, go through those. Okay, let's th- th- let's start with the, the the design. The two big buckets are design and then technical. Let's start with design. Within that, you've got. UI, which means user interface, or UX, user experience. Once again, technical nerds will say there's a difference, but often they're used interchangeably. Um, what that is, I think, is basically uh, understanding how the software should work. So where do the things go on the page? How does it walk a user through the, the typical workflow? It's It involves design and thinking visually about the product, but it's not super specific. It's not, what are the colors or the corners of the buttons around it? What picture should we use? It's much more abstract, uh, you know, writing the copy and thinking like, if, you know, if we have this set of pages, the user will be able to accomplish their goal. I'd say that's kind of UI design to me. Okay. Um, then, then there's like graphic or visual design, which is more about the aesthetics of it, just making it look okay. I know you, I would argue you probably could get away with being a little bit weaker on that because even though it's going to be a self-service product, the individuals are not going to be buying it. Like you're going to be selling it to a company and then the employees of that company are kind of going to, they have to understand how it works, but they don't have to like it. Right. So what do you, what do you mean by like it? Um, so like products like, uh, you know, a lot of consumer products like Snapchat and Instagram need to just have lots of cool animations and like everything needs to be super polished and beautiful. The colors need to be good. The logo needs to be good because people are using it because it's cool and pretty and sexy. Uh, you're building B2B SaaS. It doesn't need to be sexy. It doesn't need to be beautiful. I don't know if I agree with that for the specific application. There's some because I, because I think that the target market for this particular example is going to be a smaller business, mm-hmm. and they're going to be buying it on a self serve basis. Uh, sometimes, yeah. so I guess I guess um, I'm a little hesitant to just throw away 
the importance of that for this, but I hear you. Okay. And I'll give my own experience here. Like less annoying CRM. I consider myself someone who's much better at UI design than, than visual design. Um, less annoying CRM is a product that we get a lot of praise from our customers about the design, but what they mean is UI design. It's not attractive. Nobody would look at it and say it's attractive. That's why we're doing a redesign right now. Okay. Um, and I think we're saying the same thing. I, I care much more about UI design yeah. than visual design at the, at the stage that we're talking about. Right. That, that sounds right to me. Um, so to me, those are the two big buckets of design. And I think that covers pretty much everything on okay. the design side. Okay. Um, and then you've got the technical side. I broke it into three categories. Uh, you, you know, once again, people might quibble with this, but I said front end, back end, and then infrastructure. So let me start at the end there. Infrastructure is like, you have to be able to host a website somewhere. Um, this is something I'm terrible at. My, my co-founder is more technical than me. He's, he's on the infrastructure side. Um, but like getting a server up and running, making sure your database has backups so that if something bad happens, you know, you're, you're not screwed, that type of thing. Okay. Um, backend coding would be, uh, a, a programming language that runs on a server. So PHP, Ruby, Python, something like that, that, uh, interacts with the database to like get, uh, basically to save the right data in the database and get the right data out. If you have algorithms, like let's say you want a recommendation engine or something like that, that's normally going to be backend. It's often considered more technical uh, and less like user experience-y because no one ever sees it. The backend is the code no one ever sees, right? Um, and then the third bucket is front end, which is take all the, the data and the algorithms and all that that's generated on the back end and visualize it for the user. So building, like actually implementing the user interface that the designer designed. It sounds like the front end person overlaps with the U, the design, the UI designer. Yeah, it's it's not uncommon for yeah, um, a visual designer can write the HTML, like code that up or something like that. Um, a lot of designers can do basic front end coding, some front ends. If you think about really sophisticated apps, like Google docs or something, the front end coding on that is really extremely technical and probably a designer would not be doing that type of thing. Um, in your case, I think the back end is, is simple. Like once again, it's a crud app, you know, someone's going to, you're, you're going to have a list of education tools and you're going to be able to pull up that list and show it to people. It's going to be pretty straightforward. So I don't think you need like deep, deep knowledge on any of these from who you're looking for, but you do need some experience with all of them. And I'd say the one you want the most deep knowledge on would be UI design from from the sound of it. Does UI design include speed of the interface? Like one thing that annoys me is is everything looks great. And then all of a sudden you click sign up and there's just like, <laughs> toolbar that just starts spinning and you don't, you totally lose trust on the app because it, it does what it's supposed to do, but it takes 10 seconds. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that would not be the UI designer probably. Who's I that? mean, I think it's, those are going to be the, the front end and back end engineer for the most part. Um, I think it's pretty well understood, understood. You want everything to be as fast as it can be. That's not like a designer shouldn't have to tell you that. Uh, so I think the programmer, if you consider this five different people working on a team, the programmers, the front end and back end would be most responsible for the performance, I think. Uh, maybe the infrastructure person, depending on the specific performance issue. Cool. Um, yeah, so 
Anyway, I think you're looking for a pretty even split across all of those. You're looking for a generalist, which is tough, but we can get into I mean, do you think that covers the skills well it's, enough? It, it sounds like I want a UI front end leaning generalist. Yeah. And, and there's a term I don't think I've used yet, which is like full stack. Um, so front end and back end are different parts of the, the tech stack. Full stack means you can do all of it. So if you're talking to people, I think you're saying, I want a full stack developer who can also do UI design or something like that. That is super helpful. I want that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So how much I, I want to go, I kind of want to go into cost because that's, I, I, you know, I'm starting to realize that that's, that's actually more important to me than where to find them. I assume these people exist. Yeah. I mean, there's so, so many different personas for this. Like if you want someone who's proven, I think your best bet, I, I think it's hard to separate cost from where do you find them, right? Because okay. like where they are in their journey matters. Where, what's the range? Like, okay, if we look at the, in, the, 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 the lower, the less experienced, lower cost mm-hmm. up to the most experienced, higher cost, what's the range in, let's call it salary in Utah? Or St. Louis, not mm-hmm. San Francisco for this type of person. I mean, on the low end would be somebody who probably is in college or recently graduated college that just on, they're just like a total nerd for this stuff and have kind of self-taught. Um, they won't have a ton of experience, but they'll, they'll have the interest and all that. And I mean, you're paying them the lowest you might pay a developer basically, or just equity probably. What's that? What's the assume no equity for, for, for this is just an employee. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what would that cost? We pay our developers 70 K to start. I think that's fairly in the, in the middle of the range probably, but because this would be, you know, brand new venture working directly with an experienced CEO, I think you could get away with paying quite a bit less to somebody because it's such a unique opportunity. I bet you could get away with 40 or 50 probably. All right. Um, what and then we'll talk about the other end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. where this you're getting someone proven. I'm assuming this person's if they're they're proven and they can do all of this, they're probably pretty valuable. I would say, yeah, very valuable. They would expect significant equity no matter what. Because um, I th- I think this in in the Bay Area, this type of role would be the the product manager. Like if they worked at a really big company, it's someone with an engineering background, but enough design sense and like user empathy to be able to do the whole thing. And that's one of the most prestigious jobs at a tech company. Um, so I think you're talking about mid six figures if you're paying them totally in in cash. Probably outside the Bay Area or in the Bay Area. For the best ones in the Bay Area, you're paying them a million a year. Uh, for for I'd say a normal one, you're paying them five hundred in the Bay Area. So maybe in Utah, three hundred. I don't know. Cool. So this is a pricey. A pricey person. If you find that person, though, I think they've got to be a co-founder. Yeah. Okay. So, the, um, so, so co-founder versus employee versus contractor starts getting into what experience they have and how much can you pay them. Yeah. And I should say, by the way, let me give a disclaimer. I'm just like making all this up. So I hire mostly entry level people. I have friends who have these types of jobs, but the numbers, you know, take a little grain of salt with them. So, uh. I yes. take everything you say to be exactly mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Nobody can question my my wisdom. <laughs> uh, sorry, you, you were just saying, so the, the equity versus compensation thing probably has to do with experience level, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, what I'm trying to get into is, obviously, for, I, if I'm, so 
in this particular situation, I am, so I, I guess what we're doing is we're starting at the broad and now I understand the broad situation here for the full stack developer that's front end leaning. Is that mm-hmm. what we said? I'd say full stack with, with UI design experience. Full stack yeah. with UI design experience with strong UI design experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that person's going to be really expensive. Um, obviously one of my constraints, because I want to be bootstrapped, uh, prior to, you know, product market fit. So how do I finance this? How do I finance finding someone who's really good at this or let's just call it good enough at this to be, to start making progress on it, mm-hmm. um, without, you know, I'm, I'm willing to fund a certain amount. I don't know how much until I know the person and, and know what the, what the deliverable is and, and that sort of thing. But I'm willing to self fund this, uh, th- from other ventures, cash flow from other ventures. Um, but I, but I don't want to, I'm not going to pay $300,000 on an idea. Right. One thing I guess I would ask, you've been through, uh, at, at your last company, a t- basically total rewrite of the code base, right? Um, one thing I think you have to ask yourself is how how much do you want to invest up front to prevent that from happening down the line? Because there are a lot of corners you can cut. You can get someone who's less experienced and all that type of stuff, but you accumulate what's called technical debt, right? Where you're you're constantly slowed down by bad technical decisions that were made previously. One of the benefits of hiring a more experienced person and one of the benefits of bringing on like a co-founder who you can trust versus say outsourcing it is you're going to like, they're going to take more ownership of the code and make sure that it's good. Do you care about that? I don't think so based on my experience. And the reason I don't think so is that none of this matters unless you get to that private market fit stage. And once you get to that private market fit stage, if you're thoughtful about how you do this, you can pretty much figure out anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can finance it. You can you can bring in talent to fix it. It's it's not an unsolvable problem, right? Yeah, sure. It might it might slow growth, but that I think is the trade off, right? So if I'm if I was raising VC from the beginning, uh, venture capital from the beginning, and I was speed was of of the essence then I, I would have a different answer. But in this particular case where I'm bootstrapping, I want to start making progress. Speed is important, but it, you know, also what, what's most important is pro- continual improvement and getting to product market fit. It's as, as lowly on as, as quickly as possible at the lowest cost possible. Yeah. Um, I, before we really take on capital, uh, outside capital, then that really tells me that I don't care about technical debt. Yeah. So if you don't care about technical debt, I mean, okay. So one way obviously to finance this is just give a ton of equity, like 50, 50 split with an experienced person. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. So do I have to do that? Do I have to do that? I'm bringing the idea here. I have all the market knowledge. I have to do 50, 50 for for someone. You said kind of the high end of the spectrum for the high end of the spectrum. Yeah. There's never been a better time to be a programmer than right now. Programmers have a million options. Why do you They're say not... absolutely 50-50? Why can't I do 70-30 and pay the guy something? Okay, sorry. You could do that. But I guess yeah. I guess what I mean is if you're if you're both getting the same deal, like neither of you getting paid, whatever, I have a hard time imagining an accomplished person with this skill set partnering with a non-technical person and taking less than 50%. When they didn't come up with any of the ideas and they're being fed basically a business? 
I don't understand. I think Explain conventional this. startup wisdom is that ideas are not worth very much. Execution is. I, I understood. Understood. Uh, what? Okay. Um, I could be I, wrong. I, I mean, by all means, go out and try. But I think if you're going for that really experienced person, you need to think of them as an equal partner. And if you don't think of them that way, I don't think you're going to get them. Well, there's there's equal partner in terms of ownership and uh, and, and say. And then there's who owns what of the business. I think those two th- things are different. Yeah, but I mean, one way to look at this is like, what you know, what's your market rate if you were being paid cash, and what's theirs? And both of you would have very high market rates, but like, it's not clear to me yours is higher. The, but but what is if it if I could understand that if the technical person was saying, listen, I have this is my idea. I'm going to find someone to to, to do this with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to give up 50% for a co-founder, but I'll give up 25%. Um, and, you know, and this is a good deal. Here's why come along, um, that I could, I could see why I might come along on that on the other end of this. So I don't understand why a full stack, like on the other end of the spectrum roles reversed, that wouldn't also be true. Yeah, it it might be. I'm just you're saying the word idea a lot. If you're if you're pitching me on this, I'm like that's that's worth nothing. I don't care about the idea. Like, let's move on to the skills you bring, and you bring great skills, but so do I. You're getting you're getting to I think another issue in attracting someone that's really good is traction. So mm-hmm. to get the really good person, you've got to and, and get them for less than fifty fifty or at, at a you know at a good at a good without giving up significant equity. Mm-hmm. You've got to have traction. Absolutely, I. Uh, yes, a hundred percent. I've always thought as a technical, like founder, if someone wanted to approach me, that's non-technical, I would, you either have to bring money or you have to bring customers. And if you're not bringing either of those, you know, why am I partnering with you? So Mm -hmm. that, that sounds believable. Yeah. Bring, bring in a a later stage top tier person. You just need to get there maybe. So what I'm realizing now is I, I, I'm not interested for me in this business, I'm not interested in the top tier person. Now, if I was interested in raising VC, do, having a 50-50 partner on this, I'd, I'd be having a different conversation with you right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I am, for this particular venture, not interested in that. Okay. So um, so I think what, what one takeaway for me right now is I, w- not only what, biz- what business, the, what type of application you're building, what problem you're trying to solve, not, not only does that drive the person you need, but it's also how fast you want to grow and what the, you know, trajectory is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you're starting from scratch and you don't want to give up equity and you, uh, you know, speed is not of the essence, it's going to be very difficult to attract top talent without giving up more half of the company, yeah. which which for this particular situation eliminates that option for me. Yeah. So, so what would you say? So what, so assuming that's the person I want to hire when I raise money, that's the person I want to hire push product market fit, right. To come mm-hmm. clean it up. So um, how do, who do, who's the right person for me to hire? Or is there, is this an outsource job? What's the best way to finance this skill set? Right. Um, if it's not a co-founder and it's it's something to get me to the place where I could go get someone like this. So let me throw th- a few ideas out there. And admittedly, I've never done that. I've never hired uh, this type of person before. But a few things that seem like they could work to me. One is the hungry young person with no experience, but you know they're going to put 
90 hours a weekend and learn it all and all that. One is you outsource the whole thing. And a third one I would say is you find someone at a recently failed startup. Um, that might be someone who's particularly well-suited for this. So I think those are three, we can dive into each one, but those are three groups I'd look at. Okay. So talk to me about the, 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 the last one you said was interesting and unique. Why did why did you go there? So you, if you, if you don't want total entry level, you want someone who has experience, but the problem with experience is it's expensive. Um, if someone's startup just failed, they are likely to be in a position where they're very, very open. Like they're not comfortable right now. And so if you offer them something, they'll probably listen. Now, some of those people will be like, I just took a risk. It didn't go well. No way. I'm going to a safe job. But some of them might be like, I loved it, but you know, I, I can't start a company by myself. I just saw how hard it was. Oh, you've run a 60-person company before? Uh, fantastic. Like, Let me go code stuff up for you. I know how to do that. Interesting. Okay. So that's a good place to find someone, but they're probably going to want to get paid. Um, they're not going to work for free. They're, they're going to, okay. So I want to come back before we go into that. So mm-hmm. I'm going to get to the person that I need for this. And then let's talk about how to go find that person. Mm-hmm. So I want to, I don't think that that might not be the right person. It might be. So what about, um, so you said outsource development. How, how does that work? Okay, so my understanding is there's two normal mo- well, maybe three normal models here. Okay, one is uh, there's all these like agencies out there that you can outsource to. They're primarily marketing agencies, but they have technical. I thought you said Asians for a second. You said agencies. <laughs> God, no, yes, agencies. Okay. I thought that was really, like not a Tyler move at all. <laughs> yes, a- agencies. Um, I, you've I assume dealt with these before, like marketing firms. Yeah, that you can actually, at Pendo Labs, we have a supporting partner called Outcode Software, and they have a team can't remember exactly where it is, but I think it's Eastern Europe somewhere and they have developers offshore and they have product and UI people here and they sell a project. They have an MVP kit, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one way to go. Most people I know who have done that uh, have told me you get what you asked for, but it you pay a pretty high price for it. That's my understanding. So expensive. Yeah, expensive, but, but, people, but fairly but people, reliable. But they deliver. They deliver, and in particular, I mean, I've, I've heard good and bad experiences, but I think the main thing is if you go to an agency, they're going to have like a person, a project manager. It's not just a programmer. So you could like hire some outsourced programmer, but then you have to manage that person. Um, if you go with an agency, there's probably less burden on you to make sure the project gets executed. I mean, maybe maybe they'll, you know, I'm sure some of them are terrible and don't deliver, but it takes a lot off your plate, I think. But you pay for it. Um, another model I'm familiar with is hire, go, basically those people in Eastern Europe that you're talking about, just going to them directly. Um, there's all kinds of online marketplaces and stuff like that to meet them. I know some people who have, like Like Upwork, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, a friend of mine here in St. Louis who's running a, a pretty successful startup at this point, he did this. And then he ended up just hiring all of those people as full-time employees eventually. Um, so that's his whole dev team now are these people that he used to kind of freelance out to for pretty low costs. but the the flip side of that it's more affordable but you know you have to really manage you have to be the project manager and and really make sure that they're taking care of business with that model one thing i'm i start getting excited about is maybe i i hire more of a product person uh like a young entrepreneur in residence kind of thing mm-hmm. uh that's entry level but gets gets how you know 
gets buying behavior, gets uh, understands how to ask questions, knows how to just be a to develop relationships and then solve problems. And then say, hey, like you're going to be an ERR. This is a great job for you. No equity, 40, 50K. I guarantee it for a year. And then you have this budget. Maybe it's another 40, 50K with this outsource, with this freelancer. Mm-hmm. Go, go. I'll tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to work with you to build a product around this vision. Yeah, that sounds fairly appealing to me. I mean, it, it's a lot harder to find one person who can do all this than to find one person who can do half of it and manage the other half. I think. Yeah, I don't think I'd like the outsource shop because I wouldn't have someone who I would trust with a direct relationship with me who cares as much about the solution and the problem as I do. You'd have to be a manager much more than I, I get the impression you don't want to be. No, but you this could. Is, this you is something I want to make. I want to find someone who's like, Rick, I know that what you have here is going to work because of your experience. I trust that. Um, that has de-risked this for me. As long as I deliver what, you know, what you're thinking um, and it works, this is going to turn into an opportunity. That's, that's the mindset I want. That, I mean, I, I get why you want that. To some extent, though, it sounds like you're saying you want a co-founder, but you don't want to treat him like a co-founder. Um, why do you say it that way? You, you want someone with the passion and buy-in and skills of a co-founder, right? I don't know what that means. So I think let me clarify what I'm saying. I, mm-hmm. You keep saying co-founder, and I think you're assigning meaning to it um, that is different than what I'm assigning to it. So to me, co-founder, all it represents is you are recognized with equity in the company for co-founding the business. That's what it means to me. It's, it's, it's functional. Okay. It's not, it's not, uh, it has no more meaning. I, I was not a co-founder of PeopleKeep or Zane Benefits. I guess I technically was, you could argue I was a founder of PeopleKeep, but, but I wasn't a founder of Zane Benefits, but I had, I took ownership of Zane Benefits as an employee and I had a founder mindset without Right. Equity. But that's partially because you came on so long after it was founded. I mean, not not that long, but a couple of years or whatever. Anyway, I think I, it, I, I don't think so. I think it was because I felt owner, I was given ownership. Sorry, and, that, that's and, not what I mean. What I mean is you weren't called a founder because you came on at that point. Like you were a founder. Like anyway, what, what you're getting so what at you're saying is, so, is, that, is, is that you have a definition for a different definition of the yeah. founder so than I do. When I'm using these terms, what I'm getting at is an employee is someone you manage. You're responsible for the outcome. You need to make sure that they deliver. And a founder is someone who is a peer of yours. You may be called the CEO, but you're not their boss really. And they own their area. And you don't. You can say if this area if this doesn't get delivered without. You know, it's not my job to make sure it happens. It's your job. If it doesn't get delivered, you messed up. That's not my failure as the CEO. So I would, I would argue that um, there are people you could hire as employees and give them that same ownership and pay them a salary, and they could be they could join at any stage of the company mm-hmm. now or later, and you could even not pay them anything because they're so passionate about it. But if you give them ownership and you say this is your thing, and they're getting something in return that maybe isn't money that they would deliver, they would act like a founder. Yeah, absolutely. So sorry. Yeah. I'm using founder colloquially to mean that that set of characteristics that founders often have, not that they literally have to found the company with you. I'm glad we're talking about this because this is one thing that is bothering me. I think oftentimes when I say technical co-founder or employee, people like 
there's a lot of people who have a definition in their head of what a co-founder is and they immediately go to 50-50 split or if it's three people, 33, 33, 33, 33. Um, if it's something else, uh, you know, if it's not, if it's, if you're not that, if you're not getting equity, you can't be a co-founder. And I disagree with that. I think I go, if I go find a co-founder and I'm paying a million bucks a year from the scratch and you don't think so. I, I disagree now. Why? Because why aren't you giving them the equity? It's, it's a lack of trust on your part. It's saying, this is mine. This is not yours. I value you, but it's not yours. And if it's not theirs, they're not a co-founder. I understand that that's true for my definition of co-founder. I would say that your definition of founder means is more about less ownership in the business, more ownership of the outcome. And, and, and so I want to differentiate between those two. I think there's ownership mm. in the business and then there's ownership of the outcome. I do not care if the person has ownership of the business. I care if they have ownership of the outcome and how we compensate that ownership of the outcome could be equity. It could be recognition. It could be experience. It could yeah. be cash. I, I don't, I'm not less. I'm less concerned in figuring and, and worrying about that. I'm more concerned in who can manage the right. What outcomes need to be managed? Who can manage those outcomes? And then once I know who those people are, I can come up with compensation strategy. Absolutely. I'm just saying there's a spectrum of people, all the way from no experience at all and otherwise would be working at Safeway, all the way through you know would be making a million dollars a year at Google, and. The, the more you go up the spectrum of their buy-in, their passion, and their skills, the more you have to treat them that way if you're going to compete because these people have lots and lots of options right now. This is maybe a year from now, if the economy is different, that won't yeah, be true. Yeah, but, but, but I've already, I, I agree with you. So for my situation in which I, I do not want to give up equity prior to product market fit, when the mm -hmm. company actually is real, yeah. I have to figure out how to finance this to product market fit without giving up equity which means I immediately can't hire the experienced person here without you know yeah. giving up equity. So that's that's off the table unless I want to talk about giving up equity. And even then, I've got to figure out how to make it happen for less than 50% to make it work for me. And my hypotheses at Legup Ventures. So that's one thing. Where, I, where I'm going to now is how do I... How do I get... The, how do I, what, who's my right first employee but, that I don't yeah. have to give equity to that but, can run with this with check-ins from me um, at a, let's call it 40, 50K uh, salary and then supplement them with more experienced skill set on a fractional basis. Yeah. So what I'm saying is I don't think you can get that person and not be a manager yourself. I think you're shirking your own responsibility by saying, I'm going to pay them like an entry-level employee, but I'm going to give them the level of responsible of the, the manager and the individual contributor in this important part of the business. Like, I, I think I th you need to be the manager here. Sure. So I, I guess we're getting into what's the difference between a manager and what I'm saying. I mean, I- You I, need to own the outcome and tell them what to do, I think. Why? Because you're paying them like an entry-level employee, and so okay. you're going to get an entry-level employee. So you and I were paid like- I'm going to totally disagree with you on this. You and I were paid like entry-level employees. No one was managing us. On we weren't the managing other people though. You, I'm you're, asking, what I'm, I'm addressing asking, is when you were saying earlier, I'm going to hire this person who can do this and manage those people in Eastern ah, Europe. Ah, that's where you're getting. That's where, I, just, I think that's too much to ask. I'm not asking for that. Okay. I would have to, I would have to give ownership of the... There, I, I agree. So there are two employees in this case. One's, one, there's one employee and a contractor in this case. Both are going to require are going to have some level of outcome ownership, but they need to be both be collectively managed as a team by me. 
Yeah. Okay. I, yes. That sounds good to me. That okay. solves the problem. That solves yeah. the problem for you. Okay, good. Yeah. I actually have my solution, I think. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Zane Benefits, where we both were our first jobs we out of college. We were these two people. Right. So, and, and we worked under Paul Zane Pilzer, serial entrepreneur. He's done this a million times. What does he do? He goes and finds a bunch of young, hung, hungry college students that don't know what the hell they're doing, and they figure it out. So that model seems pretty much like what you should be looking at here. The only thing I, I think that is a little bit different about what Paul did is I want, um, I want the, en- I want the ta- engineering talent to be, uh, more experienced. Why? Um, because, well, I don't know that I do want the more experienced because today it's a whole nother level of, at the time when we were there, when we were going through this, this was all new, new stuff. SaaS space applications were just starting to conquer um, yeah. a lot of different business app, business problems. And, uh, so there probably wasn't an option to go to some, go find someone versus at the same price of an initial person on a fractional basis in India or, you know, Philippines or even in the U S that could work, could, could deliver and, 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 and avoid some of the, uh, uh, learning costs of entry level. Yeah. Let me, uh, throw something at you that might help bridge this gap. I have not done this before, but I've heard about it on on podcasts I listen to. There are people who are experienced engineers that basically rent out very small amounts of their time to mentor entry-level people uh, remotely. So, for example, you could say, get someone fresh out of college to be your, I mean, head developer, CTO, whatever, and pay 2000 bucks a month or one, I don't know what it costs, for that person to get a couple hours a week on the phone with a 15-year industry veteran to ask questions, maybe do code reviews, whatever, that would mitigate some of that risk of hiring an entry-level person without the cost of getting the experienced person. That's a great idea. It's almost like there's an ecosystem here for a, a, a bootstrap startup <laughs> within itself that you have mm-hmm. to create uh, to, to, to avoid spending a lot of money and get the best of both worlds. Yeah. I like it. Cool. Mentor, but both would need mentors, but I, I can't provide the technical mentorship. I can provide the bit on the business product side. Uh, I could provide the mentorship, but I don't, I would need a partner on a fractional basis to provide the technical mentorship. And that person could be the, the future CTO mm-hmm. or, or person that takes over at a later stage. Yeah. Another, another option here at put, put that person on your board or whatever and say, one of, one of your duties, can you mentor this person for me? Yeah, there's all kinds of things you could do here. This is good. I I, uh, I have a much better direction now. Thank you. Uh, I know we didn't talk about where to find these people, uh, but and we're kind of out of time. So mm-hmm. uh, should we cut? Should we should we move on? Yeah, let's cut. Well, hopefully, what happens is you go do this, and maybe we can have another talk after you've done it about about what you learned, where you got them, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I already I. I my mind is spinning now. So yeah, uh, on ideas. So, okay, cool. Well, thank you for this. Um, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and, and wrap up. Yeah. Do you want to add anything? Any takeaways? Well, let's just summarize. Well, why, why don't you go ahead and summarize everything and then, yeah, we can call it. 
So uh, there's this thing called CRUD. I can't remember what it stands for. Create, but it basic, read, update, delete. It basically means that um, what I'm trying to build is an unsophisticated technical problem uh, that high-level technical people would scoff at uh, and say that that's not a challenging problem. So a lot of developers would probably say, I'm not interested um, for that reason alone. Would you agree? It's maybe not so much that they wouldn't be interested, but... You don't need to copy Google's model and hire the PhDs of the world. Like anyone who can code can do this. Okay, yeah. So the the skill set requ- the the skill set requirements are less are more generalist than specialized. That's a big yeah, takeaway from exactly, the, on the crowd. Yeah. Which means uh, the type of the skill sets I need to figure out how to provide early on in the startup is full stack developer with UI uh, uh, abilities. Uh, and hopefully experience. Now, how to make that happen with the constraint of a bootstrap uh, makes it very difficult to go hire that person, especially without giving up a, a half a majority of the company uh, mm-hmm. or a significant portion of the company. So, uh, my, one of my big takeaways is uh, to find that full stack developer, which includes infrastructure, back end, front end, UI, and then maybe some visual design that's good enough. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, figure out how to make, how to piecemeal that uh, early on. And, uh, and I don't know exactly how I'm going to do that yet, but it's clearly not a, f- a co-founder for me. It's clearly not a, even a one employee. It's, it's, um, a, it's a group of people working together to make continuous improvement with some portion of their time. And uh, that's my biggest takeaway, honestly, is that I, for a bootstrap business in this without, with the constraint of not giving equity up to a co-founder, it's uh it's very difficult to, uh, if you're not a non-technical founder to get the, the product off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that sounds right, but there's a, there's a plan. So excited to hear how it goes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So um, you can, uh, thanks for listening. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startups to last startuptolast.com. We'd love to hear from you in the comment section. And we're, we're playing around with some different, you know, takeaway uh, content uh, pieces. So if you have ideas or, uh, or want to improve on our thoughts here, please, uh, please join in. All right. Bye.